Hey everyone, Joe here. In this episode, I got the amazing opportunity to sit down and chat with Patrick Fats Kennedy, an Air Force officer, fighter pilot, and currently the commander of the Warhawks, the 480th Fighter Squadron at Spangdalem Air Base in Germany. During our discussion, we talked about the life of a fighter pilot, various leadership principles, and much, much more. Enjoy. Live. Yo, welcome back to the Llama Lounge, a dialogue on all things life, learning, and leadership. This is Joe Bogdan. I have with me an amazing guest on the podcast. Uh, he is the commander of the 480th Fighter Squadron, the Warhawks at Spangdalem Air Base, Germany. Uh, an amazing human being, Lieutenant Colonel Patrick Fats Kennedy. How's it going, sir? Oh, it's going good, Chief. Uh, first off, I want to thank you for having me on and uh, tell you how proud I am of you for starting the Lama Leadership Series. I mean, it, it's awesome and it's reaching so many people. And uh, what's really fantastic about it is just true mentorship, right? It's just people that have been there, done that, and, and you're sharing your story with other people and you're bringing out new perspectives. And uh, I can't be more proud of you. So thanks for doing that. Oh, thank you, sir. That means so much. Um, and I know that the team will really appreciate it. Um, we, we literally just wanted to talk to people and have bro talk about leadership topics. And, um, and even when we started, I'll be honest with you, sir, I thought uh, it wasn't even, it didn't dawn upon us that we were going to have such amazing guests on and then to have those conversations, real conversations. And then it, it dawned upon maybe like maybe a month ago, honestly, I t we were talking, I said, you know, some of the topics we're talking about on this podcast, um, Airman so-and-so would have never heard that conversation. Right. I mean, like, yeah, <laughs> like they wouldn't exactly, have been able to yeah. get that. And I was like, well, wow, it's kind of cool because I was like, I was thinking if I was staff sergeant so-and-so, I would have loved to have heard, you know, a lieutenant colonel and a chief talk about a blank, right? I mean, yeah. whatever it is, just to get the perspective. And it's, and it's really cool. It's made the planet a little bit smaller when it comes to, like you said, mentorship and understanding mm -hmm. of things. And I think that's really cool. Oh, it definitely is. I mean, to be a fly on the wall in some of these conversations is now possible, right? right. I mean, it's, it's the amazingness of uh, technology and people, right? Yeah. So it, it's great way to leverage uh, Zoom in this case to reach a wider audience. So yeah, awesome. Sir. Awesome. Yes. Thank you so much. So um, before we start getting to some of our, the topics of discussion, um, as we typically, when we have a guest on, we like to hear their story. We always hear airmen, every airman has a story and, um, you know, and I 100% believe, I believe every human being has a story and we can often glean some wisdom from those stories, whether it's intentional or unintentional, you just kind of hear something and you might gain some, something from that story. So we'd love to hear a little bit about you, sir. Yeah, no problem. So uh, I grew up uh, in Philadelphia. I was uh, raised by a single mother. I have an older brother, five years older than me. Um, she was a nurse and I, I wanted to fly. You know, I wanted to fly since I was five years old and I used to actually hang out at the Northeast Philadelphia airport and watch planes just take off and land. Mm. And uh, it was probably a really easy way for uh, my mom to watch me because I could just sit there and just watch planes take off and land, take <laughs> off and land. And uh, that's just something I always wanted to do. 
and I went through the public school system and I knew that the only way I was going to be able to fly just doing my research was kind of go to the Air Force Academy. I was either going to go to Bucks County Community College or the Air Force Academy. It was either <laughs> those two. And uh, luckily I got accepted uh, to it. So went to the Air Force Academy. I was on the skydiving team there. So I have a little bit over a thousand skydives, which is uh, wow. pretty cool. And I was able to continue that uh, throughout my career, except now in Europe, I, I don't do that. Um, so after the academy, I went through the pilot training uh, pipeline, and I, I wanted to fly fighters. That's uh, what I always wanted to do, and that was my goal, and that was my intent, and uh, I was very focused on that. Mm. So then I went to Shepard uh, for Euro-NATO uh, pilot training and got F-16s out of there. Went to Luke after that for... Uh, they call it the B course, the basic course. That's where I learned how to fly and employ the F-16 as a weapon system. And then from there, my first assignment was uh, Kunsan. So then that was my first uh, combat fighter squadron. And I was so excited. Like it was just a dream come true uh, walking in those doors the first time. And I was like, man, I made it. <laughs> but then it, it took me less than an hour to figure out I haven't made it yet. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, it, uh, it's a lot of hard work and, it, you know, it, it kind of goes to the saying that, um, you know, success is never final, right? You know, whenever you succeed at one thing, it's just the next challenge, right? And so you mm -hmm. have to step to that challenge to then how to learn how to become a fighter pilot and become a wingman, a uh, mission ready wingman. And then, uh, Luckily, within that year, I was able to upgrade to a flight lead. And then from there, I went to Aviano after that. So um, I was pretty stoked. Met my uh, wife actually in uh, Korea. She was teaching over there and then uh, brought her to Italy with me. Then after uh, Italy, went to Nellis. After Nellis, went to Luke. Um, then after Luke, went to... Maxwell for uh, two years and then after uh, Maxwell went to Spengalen. I've been at Spengalen ever since. I've been there for a while, yeah. uh, deployed out of there and yeah, I, I'm loving living in Germany and I have two kids, uh, a wife and living the dream really. I, yeah. You know, I, I think that uh, going back to you know, success is never final. Uh, you know, each step of the way, I was given opportunities by uh, leaders to step up and show, am I worthy of this title? You know, and it, it was always a dream of mine to become a fighter squadron commander. And luckily, I'm, uh, I achieved that. And now, you know, I'm learning how to command each and every day. I, I think, uh, one thing that life has taught me is that nobody's perfect. And I think that what we have to do is try to learn from our mistakes and always grow, get better. And, um, yeah, and that's that. So that, that's really cool. 
Yeah. yeah, I really appreciate you sharing that. And I just, when you rattled off the bases you've been to, I was like, you haven't been to one bad place. I was like, all those places are, <laughs> are, are sweet gigs. I'm like, I, I actually want to go to the places that I haven't been to where you said you've been to. That's pretty cool. <laughs> oh, I, I, I actually, yeah, I've been extremely fortunate. I, I really have. I've been blessed by our, uh, my assignments because, I mean, I loved every single one of them mm-hmm. and uh, the travel opportunities and everything else. But, you know, looking back on all the cool places and travel opportunities, the one thing that kind of sticks with me are the people that I was around in those organizations. And uh, it really ties into uh, camaraderie and friendship. And, and, you know, what are the things that I'm going to remember when I'm old, gray and senile with very few memories left? I think it's those friendships and camaraderie and uh, some of the stories with uh, the other airmen that I share. So, yeah, I, I 100% agree. I, I think back on opportunity, you know, like I would, I would, I would usually try to be transparent, but I don't have like a lot of um, family, family, like biological mm-hmm. family uh, in the world, but I have a giant family and, you know, and, and the, the camaraderie and all the airmen around the world. And, um, and I don't even mean that loosely. I mean, like, literally, I feel like if I went any place, you can literally be like, Hey, who's over there? <laughs> you know, I mean, who do I know that's over there? And yeah. I could go, I go, let's go do some lunch or something. It's like, there's very few places I feel that I can't do that because, you know, just know. the time in and the, and the amazing people that you meet all the time. So that's very yeah. cool. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I, I mean, that's funny. I, I mean, I share that common background where I don't have this huge mm-hmm. uh, family, but I feel like I have so many brothers and sisters mm-hmm. all over the world. Yeah. And I think that is so cool. You know, if, yeah. uh, I was ever at base X or state X, you know, I always have somebody I could look up either mm-hmm. they're in active duty or they got out, moved on to other things, but it is yeah. really cool. It's almost, it's like you you feel bad. Like if you're only going to be there for a day or two and you're like, I'm not even gonna have enough time. And you're like seven people that you would need to, you almost got like ghost in and out. So you don't feel, <laughs> <laughs> so you don't upset somebody. <laughs> That's happened a couple of times. <laughs> like, I know. And now with social media, you know, they found out that you like post a picture of yeah. where you've been or something. They're like, yeah. Oh, you didn't look me up. I was like, like Oops. <laughs> I only had like 12 hours. Yeah, I know. <laughs> but yeah, that, that's awesome, sir. So I really appreciate you sharing your story. Um, and you know, so a part of that, like you talked about the persistence and you were focused, right? You knew you wanted to be a fighter pilot and wow, you're a fighter pilot. You know I mean? That, that was really cool. Uh, um, what kind of challenges though did you face along the way? Because I think a lot of people hear that. I was like, oh man, I, I just got to be focused and I can get whatever I want. I was like, yeah, you got to be focused, but also persistent <laughs> right? yeah. to be able so, to get through some stuff. So uh, the other part of the saying, uh, failure is never fatal. Mm-hmm. And along the way, I failed so many times. A constant battle. I, I mean, there was there was a drive to get to the next step. Um, and I think if I didn't have that drive, it would have been a lot easier just to give up, just to stop. Um, so, you know, just start in, in uh, pilot training at pilot training, you know, in the, you take tests all the time, tests, 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 and uh, you're getting check rides and it, you know, one of the most stressful things is you stand up and you talk about emergency procedures of the aircraft and uh, it goes back to all of your studying and all the books and everything. And then to fail that you actually stop flying. 
you, you can't fly that day if you mess up the emergency procedure of the day. And I remember one time I stood up and uh, they call them caps, but uh, it was for uh, engine malfunction. And it, it was, I was young and I was nervous. You stand up and you have, you know, you, your class and instructors all looking at you. And I said the wrong word. I, I just mixed it up. Mm. And I'll never forget. I couldn't fly that day. They sat me down. They're like, hey, you can't fly. And uh, man, I felt like such a failure. Mm. You know, I was like, man, I can't believe I knew what it was. I just misspoke, but it was like, nope, like that is the standard. You didn't meet the standard for today. Um, but I come to realize like, you know, failure is not fatal. You know, I, I learn from that and move on. And the next day I, I have the emergency procedure of the day and I nail it. You know, I study a little bit harder and then I'm flying. And, uh, and you see that. And then you see other people too. Uh, fail and then you have to cut you know you learn how to be a good airman you you help them out you say hey that happened to me you share your story uh you be you're vulnerable right mm -hmm. you, you share like hey you're not the first person to do this and you're probably not going to be the last right. um so those are some of the challenges and uh growing challenges i would say that uh you're humbled immediately. You're, you're humbled by, uh, there's always somebody better than you. No matter how good you think you are, there was always somebody better. Right. And uh, so you learn real quick to kind of keep your mouth shut and not be super egotistical. Mm. Um, and then other challenges uh, as you move along the pipeline has to do with balance. And that's finding a work-life balance, you know, um, where you're developing yourself, you're developing as an airman in your, uh, in your duties. And then you're also developing yourself, uh, as a pilot. And then the older you get, then I start developing myself as a husband, mm -hmm. as a father, um, and also, uh, as a friend to many people. So, uh, with that just comes, uh, I think the challenge of time priorities and, realizing to that there's always going to be this next challenge. There's always going to be the next crisis and you always have to be prepared for that. Mm -hmm. uh, you can't um, quickly gain fitness, right? Fitness is going to be a lifelong thing. You mm -hmm. can't not be fit one day and the next day you're expected to be fit and then deploy for war. You know, it, it's these things that you have to constantly develop over time. Um, and those are the it's like life lessons uh, that you gain. And then you realize that you're ready for any challenge and then you're ready for the next failure, right? You're, and you're not afraid to fail. You're not afraid to um, take risks, but they're calculated risks, right? Right. It's um, understanding how to mitigate the risks. So it's not uh, life we're talking about, except if it's a wartime situation, uh, and then after you mitigate those risks, you step forward and you go forward with confidence and you have a plan and you execute that plan. And if it doesn't go well, then you debrief it appropriately. And I found that, uh, there's one good thing that pilots do very well. And that's harsh debriefs. It's mm -hmm. just open and honest debriefs. They don't hold anything back. And, uh, we say the ranks often debriefs and it's true. You know, if I mess something up, um, and there's a, another person that says, Hey, you messed this up. 
I expect them to tell me that, right. You know, um, and it doesn't matter if I outrank them or not. I expect them to hold me accountable. Right. And it's that accountability piece that is uh, huge. Um, and I think it's what makes our profession extremely disciplined. And it's not, in, it's not uh, special or unique to just pilots. I mean, that's all across uh, the AFSCs that I found working with everybody. Um, the maintenance has an amazing accountability uh, when a jet breaks, they have to answer the mail to the wing commander and everybody else. So, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah, I'm rambling on. So oh, I'll no, stop no. there and let it no, go. No, that was, that was awesome. Yeah, no, I, yeah. I think that's, uh, no, I mean, you captured a lot of stuff there. And that's what I was thinking because I, I really wanted to talk about the challenges because oftentimes um, I talked about it in one of my short videos. It's like, you know, our, us as leaders, you know, we, we want to inspire people. Right. I mean, it's part of our job really to inspire people and people think inspire is some magical thing. It's like, no, it's just showing people that you can get there too. Right. It's showing people a future that they can actually attain also. And and a lot of times we, uh, we, we do a more impressing than inspiring. We we show people a future that they can't attain, you know, because everything looks perfect. And I think it's really cool that we could hear that, you know, it wasn't like, I was focused and I was able to become a pilot. You know, the dream did just, you know, I just wasn't destined for this dream. I had to work really hard to get there <laughs> and surpass yeah. some challenges. And I think that's really important for us to share um, with, with people that are listening, you know? No, I, I agree. That, that is a really good point. And, and you know, another thing that uh, kind of sparked there as you were talking is that um, the older I got, the less afraid I was to say yes to opportunities. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I would say that there were some opportunities that I, I didn't take advantage of. Uh, um, and I wish I did. And, and this Zoom meeting is a perfect example. You know, when you're like, hey, do you want to uh, come talk to me on Zoom? You know, I was like, oh, man, I, I, I don't like the sound of my voice. No, I don't want to do that. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, of course I am. I, you know, I, I like Chief. You're an inspiring leader. And, you know, always be willing to learn. I'm, I'm just as much willing to learn from you as I am a lieutenant, uh, a senior airman. Mm-hmm. Um, we all can teach each other's things. And, and that is the older you get, I think the, the more you see that uh, we're all going through this life together. Right. And everybody has a story and everybody has a lesson to be learned and mm-hmm. you know, everybody's valuable. Yeah, it's funny what you said about the voice thing because, uh, I, you know, it's not going to be a well-kept secret anymore, but um, people have told me, it's like, oh, yeah, I really like your short videos. I'm like, yeah. I was like, do you know why I did that? I'll give you, you know, I was like, actually, it's because I hate recording myself and I hate my voice. So I wanted to purposely make myself uncomfortable and try it. And somehow it got some, you know, good reviews. So I was like, oh, okay. You know, but I was literally <laughs> doing it just because I hate doing it. And, you know, I discovered how much I hated it do this because we're doing more stuff in these you know using utilizing these platforms so i was like i gotta get i gotta make friends with my uncomfortable feeling you know what i mean i gotta yeah. i gotta get past it so that's why i started doing it but then somehow it just it got some you know decent reviews on some of those so it's pretty cool no that that's awesome that uh you know it reminds me of that book the obstacle is the way mm-hmm. you know even though it's going to be a challenge you, you step up to it, it you yeah. step out of your comfort zone because you know that the obstacle is the way just keep yeah. moving towards that that is uh, my favorite book, I think. I mean, I'm looking back at it and I have so many favorite books, but I could honestly say that book has the most, uh, I highlighted more 
I think the only other book I've, I've highlighted as much or wrote in was our PDG when I was studying for promotion. I mean, like that, like that book <laughs> I highlight nonstop. I was like, oh, that's a gem. That's a gem. And yeah. it's not even that big of a book. And it's like mostly yeah. highlighted in there. So yeah, phenomenal book. And I'm a huge uh, Stoicism fan. So um, um, me, me too. I, th- I think we share that uh, with each other with Ego as the Enemy and Obstacles Away by Ryan Holiday. The, uh, you know, the, the cool thing about that, that book is that you start looking at adversity differently. Mm-hmm. Adver- adversity isn't a chance to fold up and just consider the failure and the negative aspect of it. Mm-hmm. It's to turn it around. How can I use this as a learning point? How can I use this to make myself better, my team better, uh, my organization better? Um, you know, because life is not going to stop throwing curveballs. Right. You know, that it's the one constant is that life is going to be challenging and it's not going to be easy. So the best thing you can do is face that adversity and understand that it's happening to make you better. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, you become a better leader. And then next thing you know, the adversity doesn't seem so difficult anymore. Uh, even though, um, yeah, it looked terrible at the beginning when you looked at it, right? So, so yeah. yeah, yesterday, I know, no joke. I think like, you know, studying stoicism and understanding that and part of yesterday, I was staring out the window in the morning before PT, like going for a run. And I looked out the window and it looked like, like just hurricane winds outside. I mean, I, I'm, I'm, I'm being very hyperbolic right now, yeah. <laughs> but it was, it was rough because Northern California could get really windy. And that's one of the reasons why they built the base here for the heavies, oh. you know, like they purposely did that because the wind, mm-hmm. you know, and I'm, I was in there looking out, out there and I'm just like, I don't want to go run right now. I really don't want to run right now. This looks <laughs> terrible, you know, and I'm sitting there like 15 straight minutes just staring out the window, finding reasons why not to do it. And I was like, all right, it's time to go. So I strapped on my weight vest and just went out and for the run and I felt so much better, but I really did not want to go do that. But I think the perspectives of, you know, that's the obstacle is the way, um, go do something hard today do something challenging you know uh, it'll make you better um at minimum condition you to be able to experience tougher things you know there's so many good things that come from that and stoicism i love because it not only talks about you know uh uh, controlling what you can you know uh you know putting your energy into the things that you have most control and influence over um but also like there's virtue with it, you know, like yeah. understanding that there's something out there bigger than you that you can serve. And, and there's mm-hmm. so many other facets of stoicism that I really appreciate, but that's, that's some very cool stuff. No, I, I completely agree. Yeah. So, so I wanted to get into this thing because, you know, I was thinking, I was like, man, it's gonna be awesome. I'm going to talk to, um, I talked to an F-16 fighter pilot. And I think honestly, a lot of our members are air force members and, People who are listening to this that aren't probably think all of us in the Air Force know a lot about being a pilot, which is yeah. very untrue, right? I, yeah. I have been in the Air Force almost 20 years now. I'm at 19 and I know Jack about fighter pilots, you know what I mean? Like what, what you do. And, and I kind of want to like, kind of call this the anatomy of a fighter pilot, like, you know, what, what your experiences are, what, what, what does the timeline of a pilot's career kind of go through, you know? And, and, and mm-hmm. I wanted to start off with call signs. You know, like yeah. how, so how, how did, you know, how do fighter pilots get call signs and how did you get yours? Okay, cool. Yeah. So uh, my call sign's FATS and it's spelled uh, P-H-A-T-S. And, uh, you know, 
fast when you say it, it should start with an F, but then if you look at the phantom, uh, it doesn't start with an F, it starts with a PH. So, uh, and then it was also the time, um, what was in vogue at the time, pretty hot and tempting, even though that's not what my call sign stands for. (laughs) Uh, So that was the uh, fats was ended up being the call sign stands for uh, parties hard at soul. And it it just so happens. uh, Good story. As a Lieutenant, we used to go up to uh, soul and um, we called something the money night is what we called it. And we used to go up there and uh, wear fancy clothes by fancy we put on ties <laughs> and uh, you know we used to go to a restaurant make reservations and it was just a good good time to get the whole squadron out and um, get off base at, from Kunsan um, so we'd go up there and uh, for whatever reason uh, it stuck that uh, that I partied hard at Seoul. So that was the call sign and uh, that I've had now for uh, a while since 2006. So wow, a little, a little bit of time. Yeah, that, that's funny. You know, and you talk about the suits and stuff. So I was in, um, or the ties, I mean, I was in Osan. Um, we, we used to, we just started doing this thing called suits on the said and said is Songtown entertainment district, which is right outside. the yeah. gate. So, yeah. so we would just we'd pick a random day. It could be Tuesday, you know, whatever day we're going to go out and have some drinks and all of us would just get dressed, you know, and we were like, what are you guys dressed for? It was like, wow, oh, it's suits on the said day. You know, <laughs> it was, and it was just great times, you know, and it, it just reminded me of that. That was awesome that you guys did that. Yeah. It, you know, it's nice. To, it just reminds me of, uh, you know, just times in the past, friendship, camaraderie, mm-hmm. things like that. And, um, it, it is pretty cool. We had, a. it reminds me of that. My very first squadron, I was in the 35th fighter squadron at Kunsan, And, uh, I was there at one time. I think there was 14 other, uh, lieutenants there with me. So a lot mm-hmm. of lieutenants in a squadron, <laughs> uh, unheard of, right. uh, even though we're getting back there now, um, but it's, you know, those tight relationships, eight of those lieutenants came to my wedding, you know, it's, uh, it's those friendships and those bonds that you, you build. So, yeah. um, Yeah. Yeah. That is something unique to what we do. Um, you know, just because I was thinking, you know, most people, this is going to sound a little bit morbid, but it doesn't mean to be, but like most people, you know, as you age and you get to a certain age, I think normal civilian society might have like, oh, I'm going to have to go to so-and-so's funeral, right? I mean, like that's, those are things that you're like, but like for us, it's like, no, it's like, okay, I got to save up some leave and some money to go to so-and-so's retirement ceremony, you know, yeah. <laughs> and then, yeah. and then a change of command or a promotion ceremony, you know, it's like, and it's cause you care about them that much that you're willing to take the trip out there and go do that. You know? And I think yeah. that's a very, that's something very unique to us in the, in the armed services, I think. Oh, I think so. Yeah. There's always a, there's always a trip to be had to celebrate somebody, you know, right. It's, it is right. pretty cool. Yeah. Have you ever read the book, uh, the power of moments? Oh, no. Mm-mm. So that one's a really good one. It kind of talks about why it's so important to celebrate those things, you know, and I think, um, you know, as, as leaders, you know, it, it talks about like, you know, it's not just a, a ceremony or a thing, you know, there's a reason behind it and why we should kind of celebrate those moments and how that what that does to people and teams and all that stuff. That's pretty cool. That is cool. <laughs> yeah. no, that, that is good. That, you know, the 
you have to be there for those things. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think it's, uh, it's important to go through yeah. life with people. So mm-hmm. that is good. Yeah. The money's, I mean, to buy the airplane ticket and the time and those things are well worth the investment. Yeah, for sure. So. <laughs> yeah. So back to the anatomy of a, a fighter pilot. So, yeah. so we, you, you know, you get your call sign and you start your career. Um, and you said like, you're like, we had a ton of lieutenants. I mean, what, what's the common like um, thing that you go through on a daily at the, at the initial, at the beginning of your career as a fighter pilot? Yeah, cool. So uh, it kind of goes back to my last statement that, you know, within the, the first hour uh, walking into the squadron. So I knew that there's a lot of work to be had. <laughs> uh, so you first show up, um, you know, everybody graduates from the basic course, which means you know how to do the basic employment of an F-16, mm-hmm. uh, but you may not be um, as proficient or current or have a deep understanding like the other uh, fighter pilots in your organization. So step one, when you first uh, show up is uh, you have to be a mission ready pilot. So you go through a syllabus, uh, it's somewhere Every base is different, somewhere between, let's call it 10 and 20 sorties, uh, so flights. And then there's some simulators as well that you do. And you start off with basic fighter maneuver. So that is uh, offense, defense, and we also talk about high aspects. So two planes flying directly at each other from a neutral position. Um, And you learn how to maneuver your aircraft and, and then go into a missile or a guns wes. So uh, that's kind of step one. So you learn the left and right hand of flying an aircraft. And by left hand, right hand, that's uh, the left hand is the throttle, the right hand is, is the stick. And there's uh, a lot of buttons on there where you're learning, we call it HOTAS. So hands on stick and throttle is the concept. Uh, so you're always looking outside. Um, so you, you're flying your aircraft in relation to just one other aircraft. And then from there you go into advanced combat maneuvers. Um, and that is two aircraft fight in another one adversary. So now you're starting to work as a team. So you learn how to fly the aircraft by yourself. Uh, obviously the F 16 is a single, uh, seat fighter, but you're, you learn how to fly just your aircraft relation to another, and then you learn how to work as a team to fight one person. And now you maneuver, you force a, a lethal choice is what we call it. So you're turning, uh, it's a very high G type of maneuvering. And what you're trying to do is make your adversary make a, really bad move Hmm. to where either you can capitalize on it or your flight or your flight leader wingman can capitalize on it. So the other guy, Iceman strategy. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) (laughs) So then you go through that and then, um, and that's all within visual range fighting. And then you go from within visual range and then you go to beyond visual range. So now you're working for tactical intercepts where now you're starting from a far ways away. So, uh, 80, 60 miles ish away. And now you're maneuvering to, uh, within visual range and you're employing missiles at range. And then you go on, you learn how to drop bombs from there. Um, all 
the inventory of bombs, F-16 is often called uh, the jack of all trades, the master of none, because we do all mission sets. Mm -hmm. So you learn how to drop uh, precision guided ordnance, uh, general purpose ordnance, 500 pounders, 2000 pounders. You learn how to shoot the gun. Um, you go on the ranges, you do that. And after you learn the basics of dropping bombs, you're, now you're going into a scenario of close air support to where you're supporting uh, fighters on the ground. Um, let's see. Then from there, uh, you learned opposed uh, surface attack. And then what that is, is now you're just going past the flop FIBA. And now you're on the other side of the flop FIBA. And now you're striking targets and uh, surface to air missiles are getting shot at you. So you learn how to defend yourself against them. And with all that being said, there's um, just a myriad of AFIs and tech order guidance that you're trying to learn about your the bombs, the targets, how to weaponeer, uh, how to fly your jet properly. And then if you're lucky enough to get into a, a seed unit, and that is suppression of enemy air defense, and that's uh, with the Block 50 mission here at Spengalum, the, uh, the only other uh, US bases that uh, do that for the F-16 Block 50 are Misawa and Shaw. So they're the wild weasel units. And then uh, you learn how to employ the AGM-88, which um, is a missile that goes after uh, the surface air missiles that are trying to shoot our bombers down. Uh, with that, there's a lot of general knowledge to be learned. Uh, Intel is a huge part of that. And I think the more you're in the Air Force, you start to learn that just because you're in that jet by yourself doesn't mean there's not a team that got you there. Right. Yeah. Um, so I, I would say that uh, the leaders that kind of put me out there and let me follow a crew chief for a day, mm -hmm. uh, was just hugely beneficial because right. that's the guy fixing the jet all night, uh, getting it ready so I can fly it for an hour and a half. Mm -hmm. um, and you know, it, and that's how I met you, right? So, uh, just to brag on you for a little bit, right? So you were in charge of the uh, many airmen, but in particular the airmen that help the barrier maintenance. Mm -hmm. And one time, uh, a pilot. Uh, went and successfully took that cable because uh, there was a brake malfunction. Mm -hmm. And without that cable being ready, she would have not been able to stop that aircraft. Right. You know, which would have caused an ejection and a loss of a $30 million asset. Mm -hmm. And not, and, you know, not even knowing what kind of damage that would have done, not only to the jet, but to other assets on the ground. Right. Uh, if the, you know, the jet just continued. So mm -hmm. you, you see things like that. Um, and kind of, it relates back to my first story as a Lieutenant when I failed that emergency procedure of the day mm -hmm. and I couldn't say it right under yeah. just the stress of people looking at me. So you, they try to put you in these stressful situations and simulator training to where, uh, you could handle these emergencies in order to safely recover, uh, not only yourself, but, uh, the assets to keep that com combat capability going. I don't know if I 
exactly answered that question. No, uh, I think you you really did. And, and I think it really, there's a couple of things I wrote down from that that I think is, is important. Like what you, you talked about um, a lot of the technical aspects of the fighter pilot world, right? Like you're going through these things and, and it, it seems like, I mean, it's obvious a lot gets thrown at you that you have to become competent in very quickly, you know, as you're developing and moving on because a lot of things can go wrong if you're not. And there's a lot of things I want to talk about there. One being standards, right? So you kind of talked about it. You had that, you, you just changed a word around that was incorrect. You knew what the right word was, but, yeah. but what if they would have been like, Oh, you got it. It's cool. You know, okay, you can fly today. You know what I mean? Like, right. yeah. And, and then, what, then you, what you did was you, they they would have lowered the standard, right? Yeah. <laughs> and, and 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 I and I bring that up because you talked about the bear. So that's actually my career field also because I was um, superintendent of that flight. But uh, my okay. career field is actually power production. So we were work on the uh, aircraft arresting systems. Um, mm-hmm. And and we are we typically you know rotate into that part of our career field you know other times we're over generators but very much so like every standard has to be correct because if the if that braking system does not do what it's supposed to do and the aircraft hits it to the point where we have to report if the aircraft is even a little bit too far off center you know we right. have to like send that up because they're like well why was it so far off center it's like we saved the aircraft yeah the, yeah but why was it so far off center it should have been center right, of the runway it should stop them in the middle if you did all your maintenance correctly so and i bring i say all that because it's like I think there is, there are times when, because it's more comfortable, leaders will, will adjust standards to make yeah. people feel comfortable. And, and so what are your thoughts on that? And what, what, and through your experience, what have you seen happen when we do things like that? Yeah, no, that, that's great, actually. Uh, Chief, so there's three things that kind of hit me with that, and that's uh, trust, accountability, and standards. So I'll go with the first one is that trust is at the cornerstone of leadership, and it's at the cornerstone of any organization. And I trust that the other people have the same standards and same level of training that I have because we rely on each other. If I'm not doing my job, the other person that's flying a few miles away from me on my team can die. Um, so it's that trust factor that allows us to succeed as uh, airmen and then the accountability piece. So, um, I personally have never seen a unit get better when you lower the standards. I've seen units get better by raising the bar and having the team win at something hard, right? But winning at something easy is any anybody could do that but hard now we're talking challenges now we're talking aspirational goals um that's what we're fighting for and that accountability piece and i i've seen it myself um it is hard to hold people accountable mm-hmm. and you know everybody wants to be the cool guy right they don't want to necessarily be uh the guy that calls somebody else out because they feel like they're going to get judged Mm -hmm. when if you do it in a professional manner and you call somebody out and you're respectful when you do it, I think it's just a a learning and a leadership opportunity. Right. And, um, I think it's hugely important and, and, and that goes for everything, whether it's weapons employment to fitness standards to, um, just dress and appearance. I, I mean, the, the spectrum is huge and it, it 
ultimately goes down to discipline. And that's what uh, the military is very good at. We win because our airmen are knowledgeable and they're disciplined and they trust each other. And uh, for those standards, the high standards that uh, we hold, um, it, you know, eventually a pilot ends up becoming an instructor pilot. And I think the first time you fail a student, it's actually not the easiest thing to do because you feel for them, right? You, you know what it's like to mess something up. Right. But then the, the more you're in the Air Force and the more you see, actually failing them at, uh, for not meeting the standard is just going to make them better, but it's going to make the whole organization better because right. a, a unit is only good as its uh, weakest link. Right. You know? So you got you to take care and you got to raise the bar high. If you raise the bar high and everybody's meeting it, it's going to raise the whole organization. Um, right. and, and that's what I've seen. People want to be part of a high-performing team. Uh, that just crushes challenges. So right. I think all those things are important. Yeah, I think so too. And I think um, sometimes when we don't want to hold people accountable at the time, it's like we're looking very short-sighted at that moment, how everybody's going to feel at that time, including ourselves, and not realize that you know there's a lot more to it um, in the long game. We, we need to hold people accountable at that moment. It might not feel good right now for anybody involved, the yeah. person holding them accountable as well as the person being held accountable, but long-term it can do a lot. And then, you know, for us too, and what we do, uh, it's some people aren't meant to do it. Right. So we just got, sometimes we have to figure that out too. If you can't meet the standard, you know, some people just aren't, they're, they're amazing people, but maybe this isn't what they should be doing is, you know, it could impact other people. Um, I think that's really important. And I like what you said about like, if you hold the standard high, everybody, you know, it, it could bring everybody up. I think too much we look at, okay, that's the average. And then we focus on the average. Well, what that does is make everybody average, right? Everybody yeah. starts to sink to the average. And like, wait, look, no, why don't we like, why don't we, why don't we examine why these people are performing so well and that they're not so special that we can't meet that too, right? right. Like a little bit more time in that, you know? So yeah, I think that's, um, those are some really key points. I really appreciate you sharing yeah. your thoughts on that. Yeah. I mean, if our, if our job is to develop leaders mm -hmm. and, make the next chief, makes the next squadron commander. Mm -hmm. Don't you want those people to be held to the highest standards the entire time? Yeah. Um, I, I would say yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, 100%. So like transitioning though real quick, the, another thought that was just on my mind when you're talking about all the, you know, the competence that you need to gain, getting all this training and, and you're getting tested. When do you, as a pilot, start really honing your leadership skills? Because this is just my experience. What I've seen sometimes with um, young officers, they're they're growing and they're really becoming competent in their job. Like an airman would be being competent in their job, and then boom, you're overseeing 400 people. You're like, what the heck just happened? You know, <laughs> like what, you went from I do this thing really well to now I gotta like oversee like all these people, right? Like when <laughs> so I was just I was like. Like, what's the transition look like there? Like, where, when are you starting to get that development? And, and I, I mean, I know you go, you know, go to SOS and all those different trainings, yeah. but it's like, that can't be it, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So uh, it starts really early on uh, for pilots as far as um, leading and setting an example. Um, I would say that every 
being a pilot is actually very unique in that in the debrief when rank is off and we're able to just give open the conversation, um, you are constantly being critiqued. So, I mean, I'm critiqued the same when I'm flying as a wingman or if I'm flying number one or number two or any position that I have, we typically fly in uh, four ship formations. Mm-hmm. Um, no matter what position, I'm actually still critiqued the same way I was critiqued as a lieutenant, mm-hmm. you know, so it, it's right. this comp, it's this confidence that everybody is held to that standard. So I think it takes a leadership skill for a young captain to be able to stand up and actually hold me accountable, just like he would hold everybody else accountable. Right. And it goes into uh, also just everybody in the organization, you know, we're a very officer heavy organization mm-hmm. compared to the, uh, the officer versus the enlisted ratio. Mm-hmm. Um, but it doesn't mean that they're not leading, even though they may not be directly in charge of the SARM and the SARM is person that makes sure our currencies are good. And they do a lot of the paperwork to make sure we can actually fly. Their job is vital to mm-hmm. make sure um, jets get up in the air and pilots can fill them. Um, but how they interact with them. Mm-hmm. While it could be really easy just to expect them to do their job and almost not interact with them whatsoever. Right. Um, and I, I see pilots go out of their way to let them know their purpose because they understand of how important they are. And same with the life support equipment. So every, every time they put on their life support equipment, People have taken hours and hours of work to do that. And just take, for example, an ejection where somebody does have to eject and that person that packed the parachute saved their life. Yeah. Um, so th- there's a lot of leadership opportunities in that. Now, whether or not people go and grab them, that's a different story. Right. Um, but you, you become a, a, First, you just work in a shop, typically a training shop or a mobility shop or a weapon shop, scheduling shop. We have a bunch of different shops that run the, uh, how this fighter squadron is organized. And the first thing you're doing is not only learning how to become a pilot, but you're also learning how to, let's just say, how to become a scheduler. And then after a year, you become an assistant shop chief. And then after another year, become a shop, uh, in charge of a shop of about you know, anywhere from five to 10 people in there. Mm-hmm. Um, or you can become attached or you could go work at the wing. And those are great leadership opportunities as well. Cause then you see a, a broader picture of everything that is supporting uh, the wing mission. Right. And then from there you become a, a flight commander um, as a typically a captain and you're in charge of about 13 pilots or so in your squadron. And then it's interestingly enough, you know, there's a, a flight commander that is in charge of the training aspects for the wing commander, yeah, you know, wow. so yeah. uh, he, he gets a, a good uh, leadership opportunity of how to lead up and down mm-hmm. of, hey, how can I look forward and envision what this colonel needs for his training uh, syllabus and the training that he needs to uh to be a pilot. And those are all types of leadership opportunities. One thing that, uh, you know, 
I didn't get until I was a little bit older as an officer was uh, leading the enlisted force. You know, while there's always a leadership opportunity of going out and talking to my crew chief, there's always a leadership opportunity of talking to the maintenance in the back shop or talking to the LRS people uh, fueling the jets, um, talking to barrier maintenance, right? Mm-hmm, right. Uh, what, I, what I find is uh, there's not necessarily mandated leadership opportunities. Right. So I think it takes either a squadron commander uh, or a good superintendent to kind of just open people's view on everything that goes on to actually projecting air power. Right. So uh, that, uh, that is where I find people are really perfecting their leadership skills. Um, yeah, that, that, and I find that the people that go, yeah. that go out of their way and kind of take, mm-hmm. uh, I, I'll call them like optional leadership opportunities, mm-hmm they're the ones that really shine. Like they're the ones that you can tell just really value people and that really care. And those are the people that I find um, end up becoming your squadron commanders, group commanders, wing commanders. Right. Right. And that's what I was going to say is because I think you embody that and that's why you're in the position you're in. And um, I know the listeners will be listening, you know, some people listen It's like, well, I know a lot of people not doing that. And I was like, well, yeah, <laughs> there's a lot of people not taking the, those optional opportunities, like you're saying, you know, and, yeah. because, because um, to be clear, like, to be honest, I'm sure a lot of pilots just want to be pilots. They just want to yeah. fly, <laughs> you know, <Yeah. laughs> you know, on the burden of extra leadership responsibilities, you know, they just want to fly. So I think there's, you know, yeah. there's a lot, and there's a lot of people in the list of force. Like, I just want to do my job. I just want to do this, you know, like yeah. what? burdening me with all this other stuff but um yeah. so, and i think we need to value those people too you know because they really just want to be experts in what they're doing and that's really i cool. i i agree chief and, and you know I, I think the longer in the air force you you really start appreciating mm-hmm. uh the amount of time and effort that everybody puts in just so that person could be a pilot right i mean right. Yeah. Uh, and then you see when something goes wrong. So, you know, say that you deploy someplace and for whatever reason, the logistics doesn't work out and equipment doesn't show up on time. You, then you realize how important (laughs) and how like critical every little piece is. Yeah. Yeah. And, and <laughs> you're, just, you're, you're, you're speaking to a support guy. So yeah, you're like, you're speaking yeah. our language. You're like, Oh, we, we're so appreciative that you, you know, because you know, it was like, everybody thinks the power just stays on by itself. You know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. Yeah. Matt, you know, imagine the lights go out. Imagine the power goes out. Yeah. We are so <laughs> yeah. like, we're, we're just out to lunch. You know, it, it's, uh, I was just walking around, uh, with somebody and we're just talking about generators, mm-hmm. you know, and backup power yep. and how important and how critical right. it is to just to make sure all that stuff is functioning. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's funny that cause a lot of people, and I don't, I'm not even sure if you're tracking like the same job that's doing the backup generator, the same guy who's doing your aircraft dressing systems. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. So as a power pro is that that's the career field that does both. So, you know, yeah. and that's what grew up the career for I grew up in and literally, um, uh, one time, and this is just totally off topic, but one time I had a, a buddy of mine, I was in charge and I told him, I was like, Hey, you guys got to go. There, there was a, a, a problem with a installed generator. Mm-hmm. Um, it was so cold in Korea that, and there was water in the fuel line that it froze. 
So then the generator just wouldn't work. So they're like, hey, we just called them and told them that, you know, if, if they lose power, give us a call and we'll take a mobile unit over there. And I'm like, what? And they're like, yeah, we take a mobile. We'll just take it over. I was like, how about you take the mobile unit over there now? That way, when they call, you can just turn it on. Right? Yeah. And they're like, it's like eight degrees outside. And I'm like, got it. But, you know, our, and they're like, you want us to do all that just for a what if? And I was like, our entire job is what if we do backup yeah. power systems and, and a rusting system. <laughs> That's really, I, was like, I was like, yeah, I want you to go over there and take a generator. But yeah, like you said, the importance of that. And, and then, yeah, they didn't have a power outage that night. You know, it, didn't, yeah. it, wouldn't, it wasn't used, but I was like, but still, that's not the point. <laughs> yeah. You, you know, and, and that is where, um, when you, it, there's a lot of, and I just call them like thankless jobs. Mm-hmm. And I think if we, we need to turn our mindset around a little bit where they're thankless jobs because if everything works, mm-hmm. you don't even know who to thank. It's just like, yeah, that's just stuff worked. Right. Right. And the next <laughs> thing you know, that somebody's taking a cable and saving their life. Mm-hmm. And it's like, it's there when you need it. Mm-hmm. It's, and it's that, uh, it's that kind of thinking that drives the purpose of why people do what they do. Mm-hmm. And in order to show somebody you're doing what you're doing is so vital to the fighter wing mission oh. and thanking them. Um, yeah, you can't, you can't put a price on that. It, you know, it's motivation. It is, it, it's what keeps people in the air force. Mm-hmm. It is showing them their why and defining the value that they bring to the organization and having a culture that an environment that actually constantly looks and says uh my job is bigger than me mm-hmm. you know a crew chief just doesn't turn wrenches a crew chief makes sure that that jet is ready to be employed at a moment's mm-hmm. notice and uh the trust that uh is associated with that is, is amazing and i think that's what makes the u.s air force great yeah. it, um and it's just be able to recognize that. Yeah. You know, you know what I really appreciated a little bit about what you even talked about a moment ago when you're um, the leadership opportunities, you know, within um, uh, the a fighter squadron. One thing that I wrote down when you were talking about, I was like, okay, today you're going to be the wingman later. The next time you, you get to be the lead, you know, and I, it did, that one just kind of blew my mind because I'm like, that is such a cool model because I think um, we talk about character uh, I think that we lack some of those forced uh, positions of humility almost like, like, mm-hmm. you know, and cause I, I always tell my team, I'm like, I'm looking for people of character to recognize, not just people who look good on pieces of paper. Me and my buddy, Caleb, we were talking about paper tigers, you know, you, yeah. you look really good on paper, but, but what are you actually doing? And I think it's important that um, we rep- that we recognize that people who are willing to take the bunt for their team. You know, mm-hmm. even with the records on the line, you got a home run or a hit record on the line, but we need you to take a bunt right now and, yeah. and you're willing to do it. And, um, and I think we don't do that enough. And I think that's really cool what you guys do to say, okay, no, you're the wingman this time. You have to train to be the wingman. And you're like, you could be a glory hog or whatever, but you're like, no, you got to be the wingman today. And I think that's really cool. And I was like, how do we implement that more across the force? You know, like type of positions like that. I think that's really cool. No, that, that is a really good point. You know, uh, character, you mentioned character and, uh, it's another thing that is so important to develop and mentor in uh, our young airmen. You know, when I say airmen, that's officer and enlisted alike. I mean, right. 
uh, everybody needs character every and it's fundamental to um, making a good leader mm-hmm. and you know there may be some mistakes and those mistakes need to, people need to be held accountable and they need to learn from them and need to grow mm-hmm. and how to do that is art and a science right? right I mean that you could read a book and you can say hey this is what I'm supposed to do but then there's an art too and that is where it goes to increasing your circle of trust and increasing your uh, peer group that you could talk, right? And bounce ideas off each other and be like, Hey, I have this, this crazy thing happened in my organization. And, uh, you know, as a squadron commander, I can't do what I do without every other squadron commander on base. And the cool thing is, is that the higher you get in rank, the, that your circle of trust builds, to where now I could talk to all these different squadron commanders. Mm-hmm. And so I have blind spots. I, clear, I, I know I have blind spots. I don't know what they are necessarily because <laughs> when I, I find them, I try to fix them. But, yeah. you know, it's interesting. And that's where I love just talking to the other squadron commanders and bouncing ideas off of. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, we have a WhatsApp group and we have meetings and everything where we talk and uh, about tough subjects. And it's just like the chief, chief group. And how important the chief group is to um, get to know each other on a personal level. So when then times are tough, you have those relationships and you're like, hey, this is what happened, uh, X, Y, and Z. Any thoughts on this to bounce ideas off of? Right. So I think that's yeah. important. Yeah, I mean, it's important to build those relationships before you need them. And I think, you know, <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> a lot of times we do it the opposite way. But you bring up a good point. And um, on, so you, as a squadron commander, you start building those, you have those relationships with other squadron commanders. But one thing that I, I've noticed, and this is my experience, because as airmen, we're already like, hey, go join the, um, whatever it might be called on that base, the airmen's group. Uh, at yeah. Travis, we call it Airmen Committed to Excellence. And a lot of the places we have a similar group. Um, some places might call it Rising Four, or, you know, and then they have the five, six group typically at NCOs, and then the senior NCOs, top three. And, and we always see the CGOC. Right. So <laughs> come to great officer uh, committee. Right. So we're like, and we always like as senior NCOs, we always assign a mentor to go there. And nine times out of 10, I've, I've sent somebody over there as a top, a top three president, I'd send like somebody over there and they're like, nobody showed up to the meeting, dude. <laughs> and I'm like, you know, or like there was like three officers and all three of them were the executive committee leads. You know what I mean? <laughs> And I'm like, really? Nobody, nobody showed up to the meeting. You know? It was the president, secretary, and treasurer. Right. <laughs> yeah. Typically, that's what happens. And I just find it like, um, you know, so do you think that um, that that because for us, it's ingrained in us at the beginning to all the way to the end of our career that we need to be involved to have those conversations, like you talked about, we're developing our peer leadership skills. Mm-hmm. Do you think? Um, I'm really like asking out of curiosity, does that really start happening more when only when you're, um, you know, in that squadron level or maybe flight level type of stuff? Because it doesn't seem like it's really happening at the CGOC. I could, I'm sure there are some amazing CGOCs out there, you know, I just yeah. you know, haven't really ran into those. So I was just kind of wondering. I know. I, I, I'll be careful what I say because I don't want to just throw <laughs> CGOCs under the bus, but right. uh, I could, I could just tell you from my personal experience, mm-hmm. um, I was not involved with the CGOC. Now I knew a lot of uh, other CGOs mm-hmm. and especially at Kunsan because it was such a small right. base. Mm-hmm. And you're tight. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. But you know, I, I would say that 
I, when I was younger, I probably, I did not have the same experience that I have today. You know, I, I was, I, what I wanted to do is go home to my wife and, uh, and everything else. And I didn't, while I did volunteer for outside organizations and everything, I I would say that I would have benefited from the CGOC, um, probably more so than, uh, I would have liked to think when I, yeah, Captain Kennedy, uh, thought at the time, um, which, which is interesting. That is a good point. And, yeah, I, I did not see the value of it when I was uh, a captain. And, you know, it, it was, I guess my, what I saw was that there wasn't a lot of other pilots in it. Right. And I saw it as, well, that's, that's what they do. Mm-hmm. It's not what the pilots do. And it, it took me a while to uh, figure out how much, we're, how much we need each other. Right. And, it, <laughs> and you know, the, the, the big opportunity that, um, is presented to uh, pilots kind of at the captain level is to be a project officer for right. a flying training deployment or mm-hmm. a, a big exercise, um, something similar to that, to where they are, fo- it's where we take, you know, 12, 18 aircraft right. and we go someplace else. We deploy, mm-hmm. whether it's downrange or whether it's to red flag or whether it's to one of the many exercises the DOD participates in. And it, it's, it's really one of the first opportunities you get as a, as a pilot to actually see what LRS does for you. And then you see, Oh man, if I don't actually understand and help you out and understand your showstoppers and some of the things that you just can't do, right? Like, why can't you just get me five C-17s right. and fly everything <laughs> the next day? Like, I don't understand. Yeah. Uh, it's the first time uh, that you really see the benefit uh, and the critical nature of all those organizations. And, you know, I was a project officer back to back to, and I, it was just invaluable. It mm-hmm. really was. And, mm-hmm. um, those kind of opportunities I cherish. And luckily for us, we're on the road a lot. So uh, I think last year, I think we were on the road somewhere around 130, 140 days or so. Mm-hmm. And uh, this this year is uh, the same. So um, luckily for us, there's a lot of opportunities for our guys right. to kind of step up and understand what it takes to employ air power. Yeah. Some rough, rough gigs like, you know, Portugal, Sweden. <laughs> you guys had some rough goes there. <laughs> I remember I was there. I was like, huh, okay. <laughs> that's where we're going now. But yeah, no, that's awesome. And I think that, that, that partnership, building that partnership capacity is so important with our NATO allies and what you guys do. And uh, it's really just being a hater. I'm just totally being a hater because I don't get to go on any of those trips. But no, that's, yeah. that's really cool. And I think I really appreciate um, your perspectives on that. I, I mean, I know I really appreciate your perspectives on that because, and the reason why I asked this, and I think it's so cool to have this conversation with you and I, because we're from very different backgrounds when it comes mm-hmm. to um, on, on an installation. And, um, and, you know, we do things very differently. I'm in a civil engineer squadron. We have almost 500 people. And right now I have like, 10, 
12 CGOs. It's, it's unheard of how many we have right now. We have five captains. It's, it's like never. <laughs> and, and, but, but for me as a senior enlisted leader of my squadron, I'm like literally assigning senior NCOs to these officers. They might yeah. not know it, but like, hey, yeah. you, that's yours. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that is yours, right? You got and, his hand receipt. <laughs> right, right, right. Make sure that you're, you're growing that lieutenant because he's going to be a squadron commander one day. And we just make sure that he's a good squadron commander and takes care of all of us. But I think, um, you know, from, in the ops world, you may not have that same number of senior NCOs to even match up. Right. I mean, like, it, it's very different. So um, I was always I was always curious, you know, like the development and the, because really me looking through the perspective of taking care of people and making sure that when you're a squadron commander you understand what you're doing when you make decisions right yes and how does and how does impacting people and uh, and it builds your yeah. credibility it really does if you understand that i um, agree yeah so very good. i agree i think that uh it, that bond between a senior nco mm-hmm. and a CGO is just invaluable. Mm-hmm. And, and sometimes it does get missed if uh, there's not an opportunity uh, to have it. Um, but definitely as you grow up, you start seeing how important it is. And, uh, you know, when I was the director of operations for the fighter squadron, um, well, I, you know, and this is funny because the rank imbalance is is weird. Because I'm a, I was a major and then a, a lieutenant colonel as so a director of operations. And my, on the maintenance side, it's a it's a captain and typically a master sergeant. That's the uh, lead pro soup production uh, superintendent. And why there's a, a big rank difference, you know, could go in there and just bark orders, and that will fail. It will fail within a week. Yeah. Right. Um, you quickly learn that you have to be humble and you have to allow yourself to get mentored by somebody that knows a job a whole lot better than you. Yeah. And it's that ability to understand what you know and what you don't know. And I guess it kind of goes, goes back to that vulnerability piece is that you have to make yourself a little bit vulnerable and you have to be like, Hey, here's an idea. And then you have to be open enough and, you, and you know, it's this, uh, it's this trust calculus that people go through. Mm-hmm. It's this, uh, they have to be able to, when you walk up to somebody and let's say I'm the Lieutenant Colonel, uh, director of operations and I'm walking into maintenance and I have a great, a great idea. We're, we're going to plus up the jets and, you know, uh, I need five C-17s and, you know, we're, we're going we're gonna to do this uh, big operation. And then I go in there with this great idea and that person does a quick trust calculate, calculation in his mind and says, is this person going to rip my head off right. or can I just give him some open and honest feedback that, hey, sir, that isn't maybe the best idea. And this is why. And the, the cool thing I've seen uh, people do is, yes, we can do that. But here are the risks. Yeah, hey, I can give you 18, 20 jets to fly on Monday, and you're not flying the rest of the week. So if that's really what you want. I'm totally willing to do that. Um, but here's another option uh, that we could possibly take. And that is just to fly the normal turn pattern. And uh, 
and some of the reasons why behind it. But why that's just one example, and it was talking about flying and uh, maintenance, the ops maintenance relationship. Um, that you have to understand, you have to be vulnerable in all kinds of situations, whether, you know, as a commander, if I'm uh, dealing with UCMJ actions, right? you know, it's, it's nice to, and almost it has to be mandatory to talk to a chief, right. to talk to a senior NCO and be like, well, how is this going to affect this person? Is this right balance? Talk to uh, the judge advocate and understand what tools are available. Um, but to go back to that point mm-hmm. with, if, if I'm not open, if I'm not, if I don't allow myself to be vulnerable initially, then that person is never going to speak up, right. you know, and it's just going to lead to failure. Uh, so, yeah, no, I mean, hundred percent. I think that's, there's so much. And like, that's what we were kind of talking about a moment ago is like, you got to start building the trust before you need it. Right. I mean, that's, and, and yep. saying that you need it, you know I mean? Like, it's not, it's, it's not a quid pro quo type thing, right? You're building that relationship and that trust ahead of time. And yeah. So, and, and yes, yeah, sir, like a lot, you know, I love hearing your perspectives on this stuff. And like I said, I, I really wanted to have you on because you're, you're such an outstanding person for one and two, because I think you bring a perspective that our audience hasn't, you know, um, been exposed to yet, at least listening to our podcast, because, um, because, you know, we've primarily had a lot of senior enlisted leaders on here and some civilian industry leaders, but um, from the officer perspective, and also not just, just any specific officer, but officer as, as a fighter pilot, um, I think, you know, you, you bring unique perspectives to the table. And, and we also discover how many commonalities we have, you know, over, you know, the, the actual differences. And I think there's a lot of value there too. So, um, yeah. man, we've already been on here for like over an hour. Yeah. So we got to do a part two, cause I know we're going to talk about some other like fitness and stuff and we'll do a bro yeah. episode on, uh, on, on intermittent fasting and some of the other stuff that we've both been experimenting on next time. But I think that'll be, that'll be a fun one as well. That'd be awesome. Yes, uh, that, I, I did just want to, uh, as we're circling back up, I just, I just didn't, I, I wanted to kind of leave you with this and I just wanted to tell you how impressed I am with you with, you're always looking to make yourself better and you're always looking to make your airmen better. That is something that stood out to me from day one that I met you and it was never about you. It was about your airmen. It was about the team. It was about the mission and uh, I wanted to thank you for that. You know, you, you motivate people in ways that you probably never know. But I remember the first time I met you, uh, I was motivated by you and I was inspired to be a better person because of it. And I, I'm just so happy that uh, we got to build a professional relationship and uh, keep keep talking with each other um, because it, you, you make a difference. So keep doing that. Thanks. Thank you, sir. That really means a lot. Um, it really means a lot. And um, yeah, and I, I got that same vibe from you. So, and that's, that's the big thing is I want I'm so grateful to be connected with you and that's why I, I reached out and thought this would be a great conversation. It's even better than I even thought it would be. Um, so what we do at the Llama Lounge before we finally wrap up any of these discussions, and we do this thing called a, a leadership rapid fire. <laughs> so <Cool. laughs> you know, we're just going to ask you a series of four questions before uh, we call it. And, um, and it's just four questions of how, and how you interpret them is how you answer them. It's, you know, there's not okay. the right way to interpret them either, but cool. So no, question number one, what is your favorite leadership trait? Trust. Trust. Awesome. 
All right, question number two. What is your favorite quote? Success is never uh, final, failure is never fatal. Nice, awesome, I love that one. All right, um, what would be some, um, what are some books that you would recommend to uh, aspiring leaders? Yeah, that's a good one. Um, ego is the enemy. I, I like that one. I, I do find that ego gets in the way of people's decisions and their actions uh, more than they'll ever be aware of. It's that unconscious bias and it was supposed to be rapid fire. So I'll make my answers rapid. So <laughs> ego is the enemy. The other ones are turn the ship around uh, is a great one. It has a leader leader uh, model and pushing decisions down to the lowest level and extreme ownership um, by Jocko. So you know, extreme ownership. If you're, if you have a task, no matter if you wanted that task or not, or whether or not you think that task is beneath you, you're going to be the best at it. And yeah. you are going to own it from start to finish and keep everybody informed. I think that's awesome. Awesome. All right. All right. The final question. This is, uh, uh, surrounds, it comes from our motto at the Lama Lounge, which is life learning and leadership. So the question mm -hmm. is, how do you find harmony between life learning and leadership? Oh, that is a good one. How do you find harmony between it? Well, I think the crux of that has to do with purpose hmm. and having a purpose to, um, to go to work every day, to find a purpose in being a better husband, to be a better father and having that purpose and be able to easily define why I do what I do. I think that is where the harmony, uh, comes into play. That's awesome. <laughs> Thank you so much, sir. I really appreciate it. And I um, really appreciate your time once again. Um, and, you know, I, I really mean it. I think we definitely got to run this one back again and do, and have another conversation. It was, it was great. Yeah. We'd, we'd love to chief anytime. You let uh -huh. me know. All right. All right. To all our listeners, um, thank you for tuning in again. And, um, you know, as always, uh, be safe, stay healthy and llamas are out. Awesome. See ya. Thanks for tuning in to the llama lounge podcast. Be sure to visit the homepage for links to products and services related to this episode. And don't forget to subscribe to the show on your podcast platform of choice. See you next time.